0: Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the annual this year virtual event presented by Business in Vancouver, celebrating BC's fastest growing companies. I'm Kurt Lapointe, publisher and editor-in-chief.
1: And joining from New York today, I'm Haley Wooden, BIV's executive editor. You
0: know, our, our event is, of course, uh, staged on the unceded ancestral territory of the Coast Salish people, uh, the Musqueam, Squamish, and tsleil Tooth. We are grateful to be hosted by them. Um, Our event is sponsored today by the Gowling WLG law firm. We're grateful for Gowling's support, particularly during this really challenging time that we've all been experiencing the last little while in search of a new normal.
1: Today, we're going to take a look at the annual BIV list on fastest growing companies and meet four of the leading firms on the list. Throughout the event, we're also going to dig into the list itself and what it shows and a good place to start Kirk I think is the methodology behind the list sharing with people how exactly we build it counter to popular belief we do not accept any bribes it is based on research findings
0: that's right yeah I mean it would have to be really big money for us to digress from the methodology Haley and I think nobody's prepared to do that Um, well, if they are, um, anyway, never mind with that. Um, the, the truth is that there is a real methodology and behind the madness of the list. And uh, let's take a look at some of the ingredients that we throw in in order to make sure that the list has integrity to it. Uh, so Albert's gonna put up a slide here for us and we'll, we'll be doing a few slides here as we get through the hour.
1: I think one of the most interesting things about the list is we're not just looking at revenue from a particular year, which might mean that we see a lot of turnover and change year to year as we produce this. But instead, we look at five year revenue growth. So by definition, that means we're looking at companies that have actually reported five years of revenue growth this year we're looking at 2016 to 2020 inclusive so Kirk that means that this is actually the first edition of this list that includes some pandemic revenue numbers
0: yeah and and obviously if uh, if companies had had uh, horrible times during the pandemic we would likely not see them as part of this list it would have taken the edge and depressed that revenue growth uh, over the course of that 5-year period. So, so I think we are going to see with the, the list of the 100 that we published this week in Business in Vancouver for our subscribers and the companies that we're going to talk to today that they've had relatively strong periods during what has been, I guess, for business it's the most challenging time in memory.
1: Yeah, that's right. And we'll get into some analysis of the sectors represented later on. But, for example, you're not going to see, nor would you expect to see a lot of tourism companies on the list because of the terrible and very difficult year they had in 2020. But we actually do see a lot of diversity on the list. Now, the way in which we get our data is also noteworthy we ask companies to supply us with their revenue figures. And it's remarkable that we actually get so many companies that are often privately held, willing to open up their books and share with us the growth they've seen. So in that way, it's actually a bit of a unique look into growth that's taking place across both the public and private sectors.
0: Yeah, for all the earlier joking about uh, integrity of the list, we are really privileged with the fact that over the course of three decades of business in Vancouver, we've been able to work with companies so that they feel that, that uh, they can be trusted or we can be trusted uh, to, to work together in order to have lists that uh, accurately provide revenue figures, growth figures, and that uh, in, in some respects, this proves to be the definitive list for companies. And Now, in order to be on the list, though, uh, the companies have to be based here in British Columbia. Uh, an awful lot of companies operate here that have their head offices somewhere in Canada, elsewhere, even abroad. Uh, And so we focus in specifically on those that have their bases here.
1: Yes, we do. And we can get into a little bit later on, a bit of a teaser where these companies are based in BC, but all of them are from British Columbia. I think now would be a great time to actually speak to one of the companies on the list and hear from them about what the past year and frankly past five years have been like. Our first guest today is Ted Reed, president of Paladin Technologies, which finished 13th on this year's list. Paladin Technologies provides leading technology integration solutions, including design build projects for security systems, audiovisual, network cabling, data centers, and network services across North America. They're also not new to our list. They've been on it before. Welcome, Ted. Really glad you could join us today.
2: It's great to be here. Thank you.
1: Now you're leading sort of a group within a group of companies and I'm sure many people are familiar with Paladin security guarding operations. Why don't you tell us about the work that's done specifically at Paladin Technologies?
2: Sure. Well, I mean, our company uh, started out as trying to be a full service security provider where we looked at bringing in alarm systems, access control, camera systems for our security clients. Uh, uh, We started about 30 years ago in this line of work. Um, Over the last... uh, I'd say the last five to 10 years, we've really sort of morphed our strategy to focus on getting into more of the the building systems uh, components that are there so that we can be um, a a more full player in all the IMIT space and buildings. Um, So we have stretched out of our, our core security Um, into things like AV and and, uh, helping companies move into the cloud with data center work and the networking we do, Um, and that was just a necessary sort of evolution of our strategy to make sure that we um, uh, could do more and more things with our, our technical field resources.
1: And I know our list is just out today and you haven't even seen it, but what it shows is that Paladin Technologies has seen 366% growth over the last five years. So going from eight digits in revenue to nine digits in revenue, what would you say has contributed to that growth?
2: Um, well, I think there's been a, a few things. Um, one is that we had to make sure we had a real strong values in our company. And I, I really feel that our team, our teams collaborate really well. Um, They they know it's a safe place for us to collaborate where uh, teamwork is really embraced. Um, We keep each other accountable to our commitments internally. um, And therefore that allows us to to give very, very strong solid solutions because we do work as a team and um, no one person can be all things to every single client. So the ability for us to collaborate and have those values in place really helps us achieve some some amazing things. Um, We've also uh, looked to moved from what was a regional strategy back in 2016 where we we're predominantly just in BC and Alberta um, to now we were became a full national player in Canada in 2017. And then we moved into the US market in 2019. And that expansion of geography allowed us to roll out um, and get more um, sort of at bats, if you will, for opportunities um, in bigger markets. Um, like the California market has been growing very quickly for us, as is the Texas market. Um, massive markets where we have a lot of intellectual uh, capability within our organization to collaborate and and then expand geographically from that strong base we have in Canada.
1: So in addition to some of the geographic growth opportunities that you mentioned, what are some of the trends you're seeing? What are companies looking for? And are they maybe thinking about security and integrated systems differently because of the pandemic?
2: Um, I think the what we've seen is that there's really been um like our company is really focused on the complexity side so we try to focus on the the really hard stuff to do um where it creates a bit of a mode around our business Um, we do see a lot of headwinds in the entry level we call entry level sort of market where um, there's less configuration required for security systems we're seeing you know high-tech firms um, like Google, like Apple trying to get into security and um, that creates terrific headwinds in the entry level side of security, um, which has made it hard for the traditional players um, to continue to grow, um, so what we have tried to do as an organization is get more into the more complicated uh, complex solutions. Um, and it's really hard to get that capability in-house to uh, to look after those type of clients and projects. So um, I'd say, yeah, the entry level side is getting very, very tough, uh, just because of the evolution of technology and what can happen with Ring and all these other new market entrants on the on the entry level side.
1: I have to think of any company found itself sitting across the table with some competition from Apple or Google that might be, you know, a bit of a scary situation. Do you think these companies are going to try and move beyond the entry level or does Paladin have enough of a moat where you feel pretty secure in what you offer to clients?
2: um i I definitely feel that um there'll be players that will eventually start getting into the more complex side um but we have a bit of time to evolve and make sure that we build our business as strong as possible um we're seeing companies like rogers and bell and, and Telus also move into our space in canada um so it's a matter of Getting a real sort of clear line of sight of where you think they're going to be going and making sure that you're in the right spot to kind of, uh, you know, not to go head to head with these billion dollar companies that uh, have huge marketing budgets. Um, So we've tried to focus on things that are more uh, complex, very unique relationship based type businesses that uh, are, are a little bit harder to replicate. It takes years. So that's going to be our sort of mode around our business.
1: As Kirk mentioned, if companies had a really bad year in 2020, they probably wouldn't be on our list this year. Tell us a bit about what leading through the pandemic has been like for you and what the company's gone through.
2: Well, first in in March of 2020, um, we were all scared. Um, It it was very, very tough. Uh, Our technicians were basically told to go home. Um, We can't get revenue if we can't go out to field sites. Um, Extremely challenging times. Um, Thankfully, um, as things sort of eased up when we got to, we got through that period, obviously some government support was required to uh, to shore things up which uh, we're very grateful for. Um, And then, as things sort of eased up with uh, people understanding more about the pandemic and how to work around it and live with COVID, um, our revenues came back online. And we didn't really lose any revenue um, in the long term, if you know what I mean. No, no projects really got canceled fully, um, but things got delayed and they're still getting delayed. Um, this is still pretty tough sledding. We have a lot of projects that get held up that uh, we wish we could get onto site. The trade chain is all sort of backed up right now with a lot of products and components that we need to finish up our, our jobs are just not available in time or on a timely basis. So it's still very challenging times, um, but we're, we're learning to cope and live with COVID.
1: You mentioned a bit earlier the importance of values and leading the company and that the foundation that that's set for paladin um, what are some of the greatest lessons you've learned about leadership over the past year
2: well i think it's it's a, a lot of leadership is about giving people the support they need to do their job right um and if they are if they're know what they do they're all set up to do then get out of their way <laughs> let them get on with things and uh um, I'm fortunate to get to work with some amazing people that, uh, really know their stuff well, and they have good judgment on knowing when it's time to collaborate and talk to others about some of the big decisions they're making. Um, so they have that, and it's taken time for us to learn how to work like that. Um, but we do want to be entrepreneurial. I always say to all of our team members, um, if you feel confident in the decision you're about to make, make it, and the quicker you make a decision, the better we are off. And we're never going to be 100% right and everyone knows that, but if you make a mistake don't shy away from it. own it. let's talk about it as a group and say look we don't want to make this mistake again here's what I did here's a situation. And, and learn and we have to be a learning organization to keep moving and advancing and moving forward, so I don't want there to be a fear culture, I want people to be um, you know they have the authority to make decisions. Um, and be confident enough if whatever decision they make, as long as they use the right thought process, that um, everything will be fine and let's, let's share in results and, and decisions that go well or not so well.
1: Before we let you go, Ted, I'd love to hear what's sort of on the horizon for Paladin and whether we can expect to see you on our list perhaps again next year as the fastest growing company.
2: Well, I sure hope to be on it next year. Um, we, we do have a lot of exciting things that we're working on. Um, we still have a bit of work to do in, in growing in Canada, um, particularly in the Quebec market, which we just sort of entered into last year. Um, that's a massive market for us with over 8 million people. Um, we feel there's a great opportunity for us there. Um, and then a lot of our growth doesn't become stateside um, in the lower 48. where We're really going to fill out our geography and replicate what we did in Canada. We'll do that um, down in the States. So that's going to keep me busy for the next few years for sure. And there'll be lots of growth from that.
1: Great to hear. Well, Ted, thank you so much for your time today and congratulations on your company's placement on our list.
2: Thanks, Haley. That's
1: Ted Reed, president of Paladin Technologies. Now, let's take a moment and go back to our list this year and look at just how quickly some of BC's fastest growing companies grew last year over the past five years. Kirk, some really, really big numbers on the slide.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a little off the chart, 96,801.2%. Uh, you, you do that a couple of years in a row, and you're larger than Apple and Google, I think. Um, it, that's, that's And when they call exponential growth, that's what they mean by exponential growth. Like That's quite considerable.
1: Yeah, that's not a sustainable level of growth by any means. Uh, interestingly, this fastest growing company has grown more than Any other company in the province since 2013, according to our list data, that is not what companies tend to see. If we move down to that next number, looking at the average, still a lot of growth, notably over 2000 percent over five years. And I think that speaks to some of the opportunities that there are for business in B.C.
0: And opportunities for talent. I mean, that, that's what's quite amazing about these is that when you really take a look at some of the faster, you know, growing companies, they, uh, they, of course, they have big labor demands in a real hurry, uh, because they suddenly are finding that uh, they're, you know, they're drinking from the fire hose when it comes to these types of things, and it's it's been remarkable in a lot of ways that um, this was actually more than double the average growth of last year's list. So uh, even in the pandemic, what we've watched is a, is a considerable uh, acceleration of growth among um, the elite numbers of companies that are fast growing.
1: That's right. It's also four times the average growth that companies on the list saw five years ago. So at the start of that five year time horizon in 2016. So the rate at which these fast growing companies are growing is indeed growing itself. Median growth, a bit of a different story. So a much smaller number than the other two on the slide there at a little over 93%. And this has actually slowed year over year. So this could be a the result of a couple of things. It could suggest that top companies, they're experiencing these amazing 96,000 plus growth rates, but generally speaking, growth is slowing for the other companies on the list. Perhaps not a surprise, Kirk, because of the challenges brought by COVID in the last year.
0: Yeah, I have to think that that's probably where we're seeing the depressing uh, of, of some of these figures um, is due in a large way to slowdown in the pandemic, whether it's um, actual operational slowdown. Uh, supply chain issues, talent issues, a number of things that could be combining in order to, uh, to, to bring back down to earth some of the companies that were really soaring in all of this. That being said, um, again, we, we're dealing with uh, 100 companies on our list and to have median growth of 93% is still pretty pretty amazing. And Of course, our survey, while we'd like to think that it's definitive, there are a lot more companies out there that aren't really supplying us with data that that likely are experiencing that kind of growth too. So the pandemic has been terrible for an awful lot of business, but it has been phenomenal for quite a few too. Absolutely. Let's um, let's go to our second guest today. Peter Greenwood is the CFO, pardon me, of Blackbird Interactive, uh, which finished seventh. Peter, seventh. There we are uh, on the list. Um, Blackbird is, of course, one of British Columbia's preeminent video game development uh, studios. It's familiar to gamers for uh, Homeworld, a new edition of it is coming in 2022. I understand. Project okay. Eagle, which was developed in conjunction with NASA and uh, Minecraft, uh, Minecraft Earth. It was a co-develop code, on. Um, great to see you, Peter. Um, great year. Um, give us uh, give us the the skinny on why it went so well. Uh,
3: There's a number of different reasons, but it fundamentally points to the quality of the people we have at the studio. Um, And it's a virtual circle because the quality of the people means the quality of the product increases, the quality of the product gets um, better visibility with third party -party publishers. And we've been able to secure um, more and more significant contracts, which has been the bedrock for the revenue growth. And the significant contracts means we need more talent. And we have the ability because we're independent as well. We're not owned by anybody. That we have a little bit of cachet in the Vancouver market, and people want to work for Blackbird. So it's really gone well. I mean, I joined Blackbird in 2015, so I'm six years almost to the day. And we went down to 35 people at one point, and we're just about 300 now. And that growth's been um, been really fantastic, and it's been great to be a part of that growth.
0: Uh, the perception of a of a studio though would be that um, you can do quite a bit of work independently but you you also have that benefit of uh, a lot of group discussion a lot of collaboration a lot of creativity that comes out of that so did the pandemic uh, disrupt the way in which the office was organized
3: uh yeah just as ted described <clears throat> we were petrified back in march um And literally the studio disappeared to all all points of the compass in BC within the space of about four working days. Everybody then trying to work out how they were going to um, just do their jobs and work collaboratively together with mediums such as this that we're on today. Uh, And we think that from a production point of view, people were generally able to cope relatively quickly But from a creative point of view, it has been difficult because normally the way in which all our teams have artistically and creatively worked has usually been sitting in some sort of meeting room, some kind of a whiteboard, somebody scrawling something on that whiteboard and everybody throwing darts at it and saying how great it is or how terrible it is or it will be better this way, that or the other. And so we think that 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 has been a significant challenge in order to remain a strong creative powerhouse. And it is all credit to the individuals uh, who are in the Blackbird team that they've been able to do that in a way that has not been, you know, stellar. Is not the greatest way of doing it, but they've been able to cope through, you know, a combination of software that have been able to recreate whiteboards, but generally just a collaborative nature from those people who work at Blackbird and lead the teams.
0: You know, what does it say, do you think, about the uh, uh, adapt, uh, adaptive qualities that that uh, your team has? in order to be able to do this? Well, we had no choice, so we had to get on and do
3: it. You know? I mean, the fact that we've been able to cope and grow and we've been able to appease our publishers who they themselves have all had their own similar problems and everybody's been in the same boat, so it helps that nobody's been able to you know, point the finger and say, you must do this, you must do that, because we've all had to sort of find our way through the dark a little bit over the course of the initial six months. Um, but what does it say about the people it says that they're you know, the tremendous talent and the talent will come through in any circumstances and and people learn to change. And that's generally been
0: great. Uh, We've written many times at BIV about the talent shortage. And are you experiencing that shortage? Uh,
3: Yeah, we've been you know, if I'm being honest, we been remarkably, uh, hats off to our human resources department and our recruiting, we've been remarkably adept at being able to reach out to bring talent into Blackbird from uh, mostly in British Columbia, but certainly we've reached out to other parts of the globe and brought those people in. Um, it, it really does help that Vancouver is known to be a, a I mean, I can't state it's enough, really a world-class location. For the development of video games and computer software, and it's a, and as I go back to it's a virtual circle that when you have somebody of Electronic Arts' you know capability and qualities, and then you have Kabam in town, and then you have um, the coalition, the Microsoft Studio here, then you have Skybox Labs, and then you have Eastside Games. Now this is a this is a real hotbed of the creation of talent. And the world really does recognize that the place to open studios is Vancouver. And that brings in more talent and it brings in more capacity to um, develop the software necessary. And so it's truly a virtual circle. Things like the tax credits from the government is helpful, um, even though, you know, in British Columbia, it's not as strong and not as powerful as the one in Quebec or other parts of the of the Canadian provinces. Um, But it is very helpful to
0: bring that talent in. And. It's gotten past the notion that it's somehow as a a frailty or or a tentative quality about it. You now are seeing anchor companies here, right?
3: Absolutely. Uh, I and it isn't uh, it, it isn't a frail or a uh, an immature market for video game development. It's a very very real industry. It has a tremendous number of jobs. The growth, as you've seen of Blackbird, is kind of reflective of other studios that I hear. Um, and also a reflective of the mergers and acquisitions that have happened in the market, where over the course of the last 12 months, there's been a number of independent video game studios that have been purchased from overseas acquirers. And, and that's a reflection of the quality of the teams and the people and the products that have been produced in, in British Columbia.
0: How important is it as a, as a strategy for growth to ensure that uh, IP stays here, that's developed here?
3: Yeah, that is uh, well, certainly part of Blackbird's uh, Blackbird's very strong strategic goal, is that our growth has been fueled by working for other people. So we've had publishers approach Blackbird and say, will you make the next game for us using this IP? So Blackbird doesn't own that IP. Blackbird, to all intents and purposes in those circumstances, are constructing a product for other people to hold the value and the, uh, the value being the intellectual property. Our strategic goal is that we recognize that the value of a video game developer is incredibly enhanced by owning the intellectual property. And so that is our ultimate game, is to end up working for ourselves. We've done that this year. We released in June 2020 our very first own-made IP, which is a game called Hard Space Shipbreakers. That has mm-hmm. been a year now in early access, and it goes final in probably the early part of next year and then goes on to console. In the middle of next year, and so we think that uh, the ownership of the IP, you know, the ability to make sequels, prequels, T-shirts, you know, films. It, you know, if you don't own the IP, you don't have any of those rights, and you'll beholden to other people to um, to make the products for them.
0: We talked about uh, the creative side of all of this, but there's obviously a consuming side of it too that has helped you in a great deal of ways uh, of ways to experience. I think we worked out to thirteen sixty four. Percent uh, of, uh, of um, tell me a little bit about what uh, the company is beginning to understand on even how the pandemic has intersected with consumption and with with use of the games.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, Blackbird works in video game development, and that's been um, very fortunate in a kind of a strange way to describe it that way, but. Um, Just anecdotally, anecdotally. So a year ago, my kids were out of school or a year and a bit ago, let's go back to June. They were out of school, they were at home. They couldn't connect with their friends except through the medium of playing games. And you can see through my own kids, I've got kids 14, 10, 8, that their ability to pick up their device, whatever that is, iPad, and reach out to their friends and say, hey, let's play Fortnite. And they would have fun and be able to join a little mini community of people who were able to play, have fun, you know, reconnect. And you could just see that the strength of video games was very beneficial for those people who would otherwise be set aside and be distant and be very, you know, inward facing. And that fueled a great demand for video games. The quality of video games is high and rising and people's ability to connect and play in multiplayer uh, worlds has really proven out to be a strength of the video game development and so on the back of that all video games have grown on mobile consoles you know, person, you know those games on personal computers and in the way in which the publishers of those games have reacted is clearly saying okay the market's grown significantly let's put more investment into our products and let's grow and put more products into the marketplace so it, it's it's a it's a realization that video games aren't going anywhere but you know but but be a strong presence in the market for many years to
0: come obviously some games ca- uh, capitalized on on the remote work uh, experience but most expect now that we're going to be some kind of hybrid experience yeah. you know you, you'll you'll be there you'll have a hybrid experience at blackbird but people who are consuming your games will have that experience too does that Maybe serve as a bit of a cue to um, to start thinking about how you program, how you create for that hybrid experience.
3: Well, who knows, Kirk, how it's going to work out? I mean, just in the same way that, uh, that Pardon described, you know, you, you know, we set off a year ago, we're kind of blundering through where we are. We're still blundering a little bit, you know, about what is the studio going to be and therefore what are the consumers going to be. I mean, I think from our our own team, we think, you know, if we had a hundred people in our team, we think probably. 10 to 15 of them would say, I love working from home. I never want to go back to the office. I never want to get in my car again. I'm working from home. We think another 10 to 15 is on the other end of the bookend going like, Jesus Christ, get me out of my apartment. I'm sick of this. I want to meet people. I want to get back to the, the way in which we collaborative get together. And so in between that 30%, the 70 of us going like, well, I'd like a hybrid world. I'd like a couple of days in, three days out. So how you deal with that and how you manage the workforce through that, and keeping everybody happy with the way in which they go about their business, so that they can bring their whole selves to work, is going to be difficult. We don't have the answer at Blackbird, but we're trying to find the right way within the teams to make sure a hybrid existence is the best way for everybody.
0: Try to ask uh, all the C-suite people uh, who have had to manage throughout this period what they've learned about themselves in all of this as a leader. What have you learned about yourself, Peter? So that's too big a question for me. I mean, I think generally the philosophy at Blackbird
3: is that we have tried very hard to be open, and we've we've tried very hard to be transparent. So where we've struggled, we've told the staff we're struggling. Where people have wanted to know, like how are the finances doing? We have we have a relatively open book policy for people if they want to. I'm the CFO. If they want to know how we're we're doing on cash flow, I'll present that periodically. I think being insular and trying to hide the truth away from staff is just a woeful place to go for any organization. And I think having an ability to, um, you know, however you want to call it, flat management structure, but everybody can ask it. you know, Anybody can ask a stupid question of the leadership team at Blackbird. It's up to the leadership team at
0: Blackbird to come up with some sensible answers. Nice, well, that's a good way of putting it. Um, Peter, thanks so much for your time. Congratulations again. Thank you very much, Tripp. Gonna see you next year.
3: Who knows? I
0: hope so. Okay. Peter Greenwood is the CFO of Blackbird Interactive. Uh, We're going to take a look at more of our findings here in a moment. But first, this message from our sponsor.
1: Hi, my name is Max Burnett.
2: I'm a partner at Gowling WLG. Our firm is proud to sponsor BIV's annual publication of the fastest growing companies in BC. From uh, establishing strong hiring practices to complying with legislation and managing workplace challenges, our Employment and Labor Group at Galling WLG is here to assist. Uh, learn more at gallingwlg.com.
0: Well, we're grateful, of course, to Galling for its support, and uh, we're going to carry on now with some of our slides from our presentation here at fastest growing companies. Haley,
1: yeah, let's take a look at some of the broad trends, some information, and overview of the list of sorts. And the first one there that I think is noteworthy. It's almost an even split between private companies that made the list and public companies. Slightly, slight bit of an edge for the public companies. And they're on uh, various lists, primarily listed in Canada, TSX, TSX Venture. But we have a few that are on the NASDAQ and New York Stock Exchange. I don't know if that's surprising. I mean, we have a lot of public companies that are headquartered in Vancouver, but also, of course, tons of private companies in BC as well.
0: And of course, you know, because it's the fastest-growing companies list, and not a revenue, not a biggest companies list, you're going to get a range of revenue. And uh, you know, we we experienced a big range this year, uh, three hundred eighty thousand dollars to twelve point seven billion. So we've pretty much done the canvas of uh, of the you know the smaller to the bigger in in this in putting together this list. Um, I will say that uh, a lot of them are also. Um, rather new companies they've been founded less than a decade ago um, but uh, we also have uh, some uh, some of them are venerable firms in this province um, one that goes back to 1938 and still is experiencing fast growth um, in uh, in its its you know ups and downs over these course of that uh, that nearly 85 year period so
1: I think that's pretty remarkable. It's also remarkable to be you know, bringing in billions of dollars in revenue, be listed on the NASDAQ and still make a fastest growing list. Uh, it's pretty impressive. I think the two that are in that category are Jim Pattison Group and Lululemon still doing very, very well despite their respective sizes. Interestingly enough, our fastest growing company, which I won't say the name quite yet, we'll reveal that a little later on, But it's a mining company and the company in our 100 spot is also a mining company, but we have every sector, almost every sector represented throughout the list. There really is a lot of variety. Notably, though, I don't think we have a single tourism related business. I think we have just one from the restaurant or hospitality sector, again, which is kind of the theme of this discussion, Kirk, that's really not a surprise given the last year.
0: Now, we've got uh, the list of life sciences firms. Uh, we have, uh, of course, some cannabis firms on it. Um, forestry, construction, gaming, law, technology. So we we really run the run the range of these uh, of these firms here in the province. We're going to go now to uh, another interview, Haley.
1: Our third guest is Dan Kiros, a partner and CEO of Affinity Group, which is 18th on our list. Affinity is an IT recruitment and consulting company with offices in Vancouver and Toronto. The firm helps service other fast-growing companies throughout North America. Dan, thanks so much for joining us.
4: Yeah, thank you, Haley. Pleasure to be here and excited to be on the list. (laughs)
1: It is exciting. Yeah, you just learned that you're number 18. I know you've been on the list before and we've actually seen you at some of our in-person events back when we were able to have those. (laughs) Uh, How does it feel to still be on the list? And is that a surprise based on what you've been witnessing at Affinity?
4: It feels awesome. I think, um, you know, as you speak about some of those other companies, I think that the, the, we've, we've, we, you know, I founded Affinity with two business partners seven years ago. And so you know, it gets harder as you get older, basically, um, to to continue to, to to outperform yourself, and um, so so yeah, it's it's been uh, it's been exciting, and it's um, you know, it's been it's been a challenge, but um, you know, kind of what we've heard here today um, about uh, you know what's happening in the market and the demand for talent, and and that's the world we we live in, right? We're in the, the talent business, and um, so have we really seen the demand for talent um accelerate um in the last you know coming out of COVID. Um, it, um, it started to pick up last quarter of 2020 and then, um, and then 2021, it's, it's probably actually been the busiest I've ever seen it in, in, um, in my 20 years in this, in this type of industry.
1: Oh, wow. Did you notice any kind of chill when the pandemic first started back in the sort of early months of 2020, or has it been actually pretty consistent throughout the pandemic?
4: No, we did get, we, like everyone else, we were pretty scared as well. Um, and, um, you know, did our best to uh, look at our finances and um, you know get in touch with our clients, see how they're doing and how they were going to fare. Uh, we saw our revenues dip down, um, but then um, you know we some of the economists were predicting um, you know a, a recession, maybe even a depression, and, and others were predicting a bounce back. And thankfully, yeah, we we saw the bounce back, and um, and so um, so it's it's been growth. You know, it's been growth ever since then. So you know, we we dipped down, but um, but what we're seeing is. Um, is a strong a strong employment market actually. And particularly we're in the, in the information technology sector. And so demand for IT professionals is, is extremely high across North America.
1: That's one thing I wanted to ask you more about. We hear from so many companies at Business in Vancouver about their struggles in finding tech talent. You just mentioned that that's also the case specifically in the IT world. What are you having to do as a company to keep up with demand from your clients and find the people that they need?
4: Yeah, great question. So, um, well, one is is the the marketplace has, has changed. One of the the silver linings of of uh, what uh, the pandemic has brought has been um, companies have learned to culturally change and 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 have had to adapt where previously they never they never um, you know, were open to people working remotely or or hiring people from outside of the uh, the, the province, let's say, or even the or even the country. And so. Um, so, although the the demand is is extremely high, um, especially for niche skill sets like developers, security, and cloud-related, um, what we are seeing though is that a lot of our clients, especially the ones that are being more strategic, and we're trying to counsel them to do so, is to be open to um, not necessarily just having people in the in the current geographic location of you know Vancouver, or BC, but actually focusing more on you know time zones. So, we you know maybe the West Coast of um North America, um, or if your offices are in the East coast, you know, and, and really looking at where the best talent, um, is, um, and, but not necessarily restricting yourself from a geographic standpoint where they are. Um, and, um, the, another thing we're doing is we're actually launching a, um, a new division called affinity international. Um, and we're starting to, um, to look at bringing talent in and we've, we've, uh, been working with uh, the government has some, some very, um, um, good programs to be able to, to tap into. And so, um, so um, we're really expanding to a global marketplace and global talent pool to be able to bring that to our Canadian companies.
1: Generally speaking, are you finding that we're able to bring in the tech talent from abroad at the pace that we need to to meet demand, or is there a gap there?
4: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a gap for sure. Um, um, you know, with the um, the you know we're the the program that we're launching, we're looking at that'll take you know. Mm, you know four to six weeks roughly um, um and and for sure it's it's more challenging than than hiring somebody locally but um but uh, that's pretty good in comparison to what it used to be it used to be more like three to six months and, and beyond so um so so those tools are there and um and we've got you know we're, we're building up you know our team to be able to have you know a, kind of the experience in immigration and, and and know how to onboard people um but but yeah it's it's you know the supply demand scenario is definitely a challenge so there's there's definitely a gap and so that's where, you know, what we've been doing internally is is hiring a great team of of you know recruiter recruitment professionals um who, who are you know skilled in, in recruiting and, and we're constantly pipelining and managing you know the 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 workforce across you know you know the country and 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 beyond so that we know who's moving where, right? Um um, you know, we talked about the the you know the the work from home or hybrid model that Peter had mentioned and, and a lot of organizations are, are going through those same same struggles and trying to make a decision. And so so we're seeing talent also moving based on what their preferences, depending on what the corporate policies are of those of those companies. So um, so there's a lot of management of, of talent to be able to know where people are going.
1: That's actually one thing I wanted to ask you about when you're consulting companies saying, you know, one way you can meet your needs is to maybe have your IT team or some of those members of those teams abroad if you were to have that conversation a few years ago versus now, are you finding companies are maybe more receptive to this idea of a semi remote in-person or hybrid workplace?
4: Yeah, it's, it's actually been quite shocking. I've been surprised that some, you know, organizations that have, you know, been in the city for for decades and um have been very traditional in 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 nature some of them have spent you know millions of dollars in 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 um, renovating real estate in downtown vancouver and um and they've all um uh, you know uh, learned to adapt and be flexible and, and are having a hybrid model and um and and are saying that that is a their model for the future um you know so i wasn't sure how things you know how would the employment market and and, and the, the cultures of our corporations evolve after the pandemic and um would we bounce back to you know traditional um, thinking? And um and it's it's nice to see that there's um you know the, the, the innovation and the thought process of of many leaders is um is is adapting to to what we need to be and what, what employees really are looking for from an employer.
1: Looking at our list, it shows that revenue over five years at affinity has more than tripled over that half decade, what has that changed for you? How is the business different than where it was five years ago? And you mentioned you founded it just seven years ago. So going back five years, it's a pretty new business. What's it like now in terms of uh, the culture and the operations of the business?
4: Yeah, I think um, the biggest thing for me is, is that now I actually have people who can do things other than, you know, <laughs> when you're uh, starting a small company, it's you're basically doing everything, right? I remember in the early days that I'd be, you know our, our goal was always to make sure we'd always make payroll right we've got about 300 consultants across North America on different projects right now and um, and we always want to make sure that the people feel confident in their paycheck and that that affinities you know obviously there to, to, to pay them um, so in the early days it was you know running around chasing up accounts receivables and and making sure that everything was was coming in and so so to fast forward to today it re- really feels that, you know really um very proud of what we achieved, proud of the the team, you know, we, I think we've heard already today echo about, you know, what makes a great company is really, it's really the people and and the team. And so, so we've got a great team in place now, and and those individuals are flourishing and growing and bringing their leadership skills. And so, so it's helping us really kind of spread our wings and and kind of get to the the next level um, by having just some, you know, being surrounded by a great team of people. Um, And so, so for me, that's, that's where I really see what's what's changed for us has been that now, you know we, we started out with a vision and um and in, in the early days it was about trying to get people to believe in our vision you know like um you know trying to convince somebody to come and work for a company that, that's been you know has three people in it sometimes it can be a little bit challenging to the to trust their their career in you um, and so to today to, to fast forward to where we're at and to see um see the growth and see people coming coming to us and being excited to join us is uh is is, is great and, and and a reflection of being on the list um, just really acknowledges that, so I really appreciate it.
1: We appreciate you being here, Dan. Thank you so much for taking the time and congratulations on once again making our list. Thanks so much. That's Dan Caros with Affinity Group. Let's go back to our list and look at more details. We'll pop up a slide here in just a moment. And you're going to see on the slide four trends that we feel are noteworthy about this year's list. The first one there, turnover in our top 20, I can't say it enough, Kirk, but I think it's really not surprising that we would see quite a few companies drop out of the top 20 list year over year. And in fact, only seven companies who were in the top 20 last year managed to remain in the top 20 this year.
0: Yeah, I mean, you can take a look at it as the companies dropped out or a lot of companies surged in a hurry um, by, by virtue of their last year and a half or so. Of, uh, of, of work. And um, in this case here, I think what we're finding is that uh, uh, even more than half in that top 20 weren't even in the top 100 a year ago, which again suggests that uh, they've been really rocketing along in the last two or three years.
1: That's right. In that vein, actually, if we expand our, what we're looking at to the full list, the top 100, almost half 46 companies were not on the list last year and they made it this year, which again, I think speaks quite a bit to the companies who were on the list last year, the year that they had in 2020, and the fact that there are certain sectors in this province that have come out, perhaps stronger than ever, depending on the sector, based on the year they had.
0: Now, now we hope that this isn't uh, because we're called business in Vancouver, that uh, only Vancouver firms felt that they needed to give us their data, but we have, because we have an awful lot on our list that are not based in the city. Uh, but the growth really did seem to be concentrated here this time around, um, which is also a suggestion that really we're watching uh, Vancouver as, as both a tech and other type of hub for business, start to really gain even more footing uh, in the Canadian economy and, and uh, you know taking advantage of situations like our shipping lanes and and our access to the American market, along with, of course, the lifestyle that comes here that really does attract an awful lot of talent, even if it's a bit of a pricey place to live.
1: It is. There's always that affordability piece. But even though we're very Vancouver centric in this year's list, we do have some companies from all over Squamish, Rossland, BC, Victoria, a couple companies represented there. But truly for the most part, if they're not in Vancouver, they are based in the greater Vancouver area. Now, where the list may lack diversity in terms of geographic location, I think it more than makes up for it when it comes to the diversity in terms of sectors that are represented on the list. And if we look at the top 20, I would say technology really stands out to me. Again, no surprise, we are all so reliant on technology. The pandemic has made that even more clear. A lot of companies within that clean tech, biotech, life sciences, other technology companies doing really well, it seems.
0: Yeah, and yet it's also a reflection of some of the stability of the resource sector uh, in our province, along with some of the cyclical changes that they undergo when uh, they have boom and bust cycles in a few cases with commodities, for instance. So a very good diversity on the list uh, that really, again, uh, covers some bases for the British Columbian economy and doesn't necessarily put all the chips on one part of the table. I um, want to go now to our fourth interview and uh, want to welcome to uh, to our program today Alex Wan of Periphery Digital. Uh, it's a Vancouver Chinese digital marketing agency which finished fifth this year on the list uh, with growth of 1,904%. Alex, good to see you. Thank you for having me. Congratulations.
5: Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, first I'm just hearing the number uh, in terms of where we are ranked. Um, right? And I think that we are uh, lucky in that we are a relatively young company. So we still have a lot of growth ahead of us.
0: Yeah, you have a lot of growth ahead of you, but you would have had, um, I imagine, if uh, if the other three uh, we've talked to today uh, were a little petrified of the initial uh, impact of the pandemic. Um, you had You had a lot of
5: pivoting to do. Definitely everything from working remotely, Um, but I would have to say that a lot of the growth through COVID stemmed from the fact that we were kind of in the right industry, in the right sector at the right time. Tell tell me about that. How did you feel that you were in the right space? Well, we have always been a digital first company. So we do a lot of media marketing campaigns on um, digital-based uh, media platforms like Facebook and Instagram and everything else. Um, and obviously when COVID first started come March and uh, April, it was very unknown and we were all very uh, worried about our clients' projects. And come June, everything sort of to go in the direction of you know everything needed to be online and everything needed to be digital. Um, so that was one part in terms of... Um, being at the right place in regards to the industries that we work with we do work very heavily with the real estate industry so a lot of pre-sale marketing a lot of pre-sale projects on the lower mainland and that definitely also contributed to a lot of our growth so uh, we have both the digital side as well as the, the the real estate side and together that sort of you know right timing
0: and, and yet you, you know, be honest with me i mean everyone thought that the real estate sector was going to hit the skids considerably at the beginning of the pandemic so it it, it must have surprised you and, uh, and you know, kept you very enthusiastic about the business to see such uh, an immediate rebound about two or three months in to the pandemic.
5: Yeah, uh, it was definitely very surprising. Um, but looking back now, I mean, knowing how everything is working, it definitely uh, made a lot of sense just given um, how, you know, the economy is going and, and where everyone's sort of spending their money right now. It's just, uh, again, right place at the right time.
0: Yeah, some of the some of the marketing that you would do would, would likely have been there two you know two three years ago that kind of thing. But did messages change for a lot of the a lot of the firms that you were dealing with in terms of how they wanted to communicate about their goods and services in this last year?
5: Um, not so much. I would say the priority had been more so turning around all their products into um, as digital as pro- possible, uh, going back into the industry that work with work with very heavily Um, obviously with real estate a lot of people want to be at the presentation centers and and actually touch and feel and look at the properties they want to purchase Um, but with with covid we really had to turn things around really quickly and make sure that the websites were you know proper and make sure that everything was digital first if you will mobile friendly everything um, to that vein
0: how did you manage to replicate though the the need for uh, any marketing agency to have a pool of people in a room, do the whiteboard thing, talk through <laughs> the look and feel of this, uh, how how did you manage to pull that off?
5: I mean, we were lucky in that, um, again, very lucky in that. Prior to the pandemic, we had been practicing working from home once a week. It's a, it oh, had okay. been something that we were working on for the past year. And so oh. um, we had some practice there um, as to how to roll that out, but obviously with every company it came as a huge shock. And with the growth that we had while working remotely, we had to turn around a lot of things internally from operations to communications to um, you know, how we actually handle our clients' projects.
0: Yeah, tell me a little bit though about what that meant in a different process for you uh, with, in terms of getting something off that uh, storyboard uh, into something that, uh, that the consumer would see?
5: Um, a, a lot of, uh, a lot of zoom calls, <laughs> a lot of Google calls, um, both internally, and externally with, um, you know, obviously with their clients, but internally as well. Um, and for us, it was more so just the impact that it had sort of on our culture, just trying to make sure that our culture remained the same in both, you know, um, how our team interacted with one another, but how we actually produced the work. Um, we were lucky again in that our team is—they're all relatively young—and so we didn't have any sort of technology snafus or individuals that didn't know how to use uh, certain things. Um, and so we were—you know—we were able to collaborate quite seamlessly and use a lot of the available technologies to our advantage.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, I'm I'm an old guy, so you know, I, I've you know had a career over many decades. Um, and I look at the pandemic and go well you know it's a couple of years of time that's kind of a little little shifted but when you're a young worker right this is a, a bigger proportion of your career life in a lot of ways it's when you're trying to really make your career in a certain way so how did you how did you as a CEO address that to make sure that your team didn't feel like, the bottom was dropping out of their careers, that they still you know, things were still going to be okay. Not just that paychecks were going to be met, but that you know, the, the meaningfulness of your work would persist.
5: We spent a lot of time on growing our team, um, whether it's through uh, courses that they could take, as well as sort of just individual collaborations on one-on-one. We really believe that um, as all the other participants in this interview here, um, a lot of our growth came from our, our team. And so we wanted to make sure that as we grew, that the team grew with us. We made it a very uh, big point to make sure that um, we're communicating with our team as often as possible, providing them all the necessary um, resources that they had. So, for example, um, giving them work from home benefits, allowing them credits to be able to set up their home office, uh, making Mm -hmm. sure that they are um, able to actually work from home uh, was a really, really important part for us.
0: Yeah. And how do you. You know how do you how do you get another year of nineteen hundred and four percent growth here? <laughs>
5: uh, <laughs> well we we are looking at different markets right now. We've had the opportunity to work with a couple of Toronto-based businesses. So we're looking at um, expanding into Toronto for some of our businesses as well as down south because we do believe that the opportunity is still um, endless for us and what we do.
0: Yeah. And again, uh, in terms of your fast build, um, what do you think that does now as, calling card for you in other markets?
5: Um, Definitely a lot of uh, pressure and expectation, if you will, (laughs) but just making sure that we're performing um, exactly the same and providing the best client service and management um, to new products, new clients in different markets.
0: Can you foresee whether you're going to get people back to the office at some point or, or do you like the way this has worked?
5: We will most likely continue with a very extreme hybrid approach. We've actually had more people in our company wanting to go back to the office um, than us asking them to. Um, but we do see that you know product- productivity has actually increased while people have been working from home. They don't have to worry about commuting and all these things. but for us it's really maintaining the culture. Um, and so making sure that we are in the office maybe you know once every uh, once or twice every month will be important for us to maintain the culture of the company.
0: Has it surprised you to see the ideas still flow while people are somewhat, you know, segregated from the pool of people that you would have around a table?
5: Yeah, at first, definitely. Um, At first, I was probably um, the least resistant, the the most resistant, I I would say, in terms of working remotely. And then over time, definitely saw the benefits of it um, and saw that, you know what, just we are, collaborating and being just as creative as we were before but without the um, troublesome commute
0: yeah the troublesome commute is quite something for a lot of people um last question to you alex and again goes to more of the personal side which is you know you're a ceo of a very fast growing company uh what have you learned about yourself as a leader in this last year or so
5: no regrets, I would say. Um, anytime we make a mistake, we have to push forward and and learn. And then I learned that uh, I guess when I was younger, I'd often look back and uh, almost punish myself for making little mistakes. But um, I've learned over this past year that any mistakes that we make is a good learning opportunity for the future.
0: Yeah. Well, you're not alone in making mistakes during the pandemic either. <laughs> we've got we've got lots of company out there, so don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations uh, for ranking so high on the list for finishing fifth this year and and, uh, hope to see you again next year. Thank you very much. Alex Juan is the CEO of Periphery Digital here in Vancouver. So Haley, I think it's now time to uh, do the big reveal of the top five. huh?
1: That's right. Our top five companies on this year's list. Here they are coming in at number five. We'll do a bit of a countdown here. We have Etro Construction, the company is based in Burnaby and they provide construction management and general contracting services. Now, they're not the only company tied to the real estate sector on this list. And that sector, as we all know, had a remarkable rebound from COVID-19 and had a very, very strong year in 2020. So no surprise to see a company tied to that sector in our top five.
0: No, and they oversee nearly $900 million in projects. So. They're fast growing, but they're also very big. Number four on our list is Periphery Digital. Now Periphery is a digital and marketing media agency. Uh, they're also part of our uh, series of interviews this week uh, on the fastest growing companies in BC. They're, uh, they're, they're really probably one of the uh, most interesting ones because they've been working in both uh, English and Chinese.
1: Mm, that is interesting and again certainly not alone in terms of a digital marketing company that has made this year's list it's another area that seems to have done quite well. number three we have quadrogen power systems. they design build and install systems for the renewable energy sector and again we have some other clean tech companies within our top 100. This is a sector I think we're only going to continue to hear more about as governments and companies alike look for clean solutions to some of the environmental challenges we're facing.
0: Pretty large. They, uh, you know, it's exponential in terms of their growth. Uh, they're now about an $8 million company. And in talking to their CEO this week uh, in advance of, our, of the release of this list, I mean, this is a, a market that is profound and uh, they, they're on top of patents and intellectual property in this space that is now really offering them expansion opportunities into the United States, into Asia, into South America. And number two is Orinia Pharmaceuticals, and they have, uh, again, when we talk about exponential growth, 29,235.1% growth over wow. the course of the five years.
1: That's a lot of growth. But again, no surprise. I mean, the life sciences sector, the technology sector more broadly has been doing very well. And I think it's companies like Orinia that have really risen to the fore over the past year and shown us some of the amazing innovation that's taking place in BC in this sector.
0: Tell us about our number one.
1: (laughs) Number one at more than 96,000% growth The company is Equinox Gold. Now, we mentioned this a little bit earlier, but Equinox has seen the highest rate of growth since Timmins Gold, so another gold miner, reported more than 108,000% growth in 2012. Now, to give this some context, over the past five years, Equinox has gone from about $1.1 million in revenue to $1.1 billion in revenue. That's a very different company over those five years, all the challenges that come with growth, all the opportunities. And we do tend to see this in the mining sector when projects get greenlit, when things come together, when mergers happen like they have for Equinox, you can see some pretty rapid growth.
0: In five years from now, if it's at 96,000% uh, <laughs> uh, growth, uh, Haley, I, I think uh, I think we missed the, the calling and investing in Equinox Gold.
1: <laughs> I know. <laughs> They'd be too big for our list, I think, if they saw this. Uh, yeah.
0: Probably be larger than Apple, I guess, at that point.
1: <laughs> exactly. Well, there we go. Our top five and our top 100 that we've been looking at today. A lot of really exciting growth stories happening in B.C.
0: Anyway, that's our list right now. And I uh, want to thank everybody for participating today. Our, our four panelists have been uh, really insightful in terms of what they've been able to do for us in helping shed some light on, uh, on their year, their last five years, of course. We want to thank again our sponsor, the law firm Gowling WLG. Its support is really integral in the production of this event. And we're, we're grateful for the continued support it's provided us uh, during the pandemic. This event wouldn't be possible without them.
1: Our program has been recorded and it can be seen later this week at BIV.com. I've seen a few questions in the chat about where you can see the full list. It's published in our print copy of BIV this week and available online for subscribers. If you're not a subscriber, you can reach out to us and we can get you a copy of that list if you subscribe. We're also going to be launching a podcast this week that focuses a little more in depth on some of the companies who are seeing fast growing growth in BC. Thanks again for watching. We appreciate your time this afternoon. I'm Haley Wooden.
0: And I'm Kirk Lapointe, publisher and editor in chief at Business in Vancouver. Thanks so much for watching.